I introduced that we're doing a two-week series called Carols about Christmas. And this week and next week, we're going to be looking at passages of Scripture, because obviously we're not coming to build our, our Bible study time around a Christmas carol, but we're connecting them to it. And so this week, our students did this on Wednesday. We're backwards from what we normally do for just this series. Covering this and talking about it, this was one of my favorite carols of all time, Oh Holy Night. There's some interesting things. I probably should have told you this before you listen to it again so you could process through. But um, back in the mid-1800s, a Catholic priest went to a famous poet of, the, uh, of the, the community in which he lived. His name was Placid Al Capau. And he went to Capau and he said, hey, would you, would you take Luke chapter 2 and would you use your gifts and talents to write a poem based off of Luke chapter 2? So Placid Al Capau um, reads through Luke 2 and writes the lyrics to O Holy Night. That's how the song was written. Then this poet um, went to one of his friends who was in the, in the arts that was a composer and said, hey, would you put this poem to music? I really like how it came out. And that's how the song, Oh Holy Night, was, was birthed. Now, what's interesting, though, and it wasn't known until a few years later, was that both Placido Capel and the composer, neither of them were Christians. Neither of them were followers of Jesus at all. In fact, Placido Capel had a reputation in his community as being somewhat of a hellraiser. And so once the, once the local church found out like that this song, Oh Holy Night, that had become very popular, were written by two people who didn't even know who Jesus was, they kind of threw a fit and were like, we, gotta, we can't have that song. We, I, I don't know why, but that was their feeling. We've got to stop it, but it was too late. It had already uh, become a very popular course. And most people don't know that. 50 years later, in 1906, a guy named Reginald Fessenden, that's the guy on, on your right, my left, um, he was in his garage on Christmas Eve working with a makeshift generator that he could plug a microphone in. And he was the guy that was the very first person to broadcast something on AM radio. And so on Christmas Eve, he plugged in his microphone and the first AM radio transmission went out. And the very first thing ever over those airwaves was him reading Luke chapter two. And then he picked up his violin, held it up to the microphone and played Oh Holy Night. So interesting little facts about this song that, that you never probably would have known. We think about that night and we're gonna be thinking about it more and more as we get closer to Christmas. That night, th this is my guess probably felt like just about anything but a, a holy night like the song makes us feel. I mean, you think about it, we've got probably a 14, 15 year old girl in Mary who is pregnant and she understands the ramifications of her pregnancy. An angel has spoken to her and told her that, that, that you are, you're going to give birth to the Messiah that was such a culturally taboo thing that Joseph, her fiance at the time, was going to leave her, which was a good thing because he could have by law stoned her uh, because no one is going to believe that what, what God has done with Virgin Mary. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, no, here's the deal. And so they are, they are living with a lot of stress in that no one's really gonna believe this story. What it looks like is Joseph has gotten married pregnant before they got married. They're dealing with that stress. And then they, in Luke chapter two, we're not gonna read that. We're actually gonna look in the book of Lamentations. You, you might read Luke chapter two with your family some this week. They go to Bethlehem 
to register for the census. And so this, this 14, 15 year old girl, young teenage girl who's nine months pregnant has to travel anywhere between 80 and 120 miles to Bethlehem. And again, she's not just jumping in the car and headed that way. This is gonna be uh, walking and or on the back of a donkey or some kind of animal, slow going. Now for a guy, I don't know if I can fully appreciate that. But since you're in the parenting teens class, there's a pretty good chance that if you're a female in here, you've been pregnant before at some point. Um, otherwise, it's odd to be in the parenting and teen class because you had a kid. You can appreciate this more than, than we ever could. Being nine months pregnant and being out on, on the road, taking every bump, every dip, every hill, messing with whatever animal it was that you're on back to get to. And, and they're going to have this baby far from home. It's not at all like what we think about. When, when we think about Christmas night, most of our thoughts are, are probably shaped more by the manger scenes that we have in our living rooms. Right? I mean, you've got Mary and Joseph and they're both happy and Jesus doesn't cry because, you know, he's the perfect baby and he's laying this, this nice manger and the, the shepherds are there and the wise men are there and they have gifts and there's an angel. We, we have this set up for our kids. And in reality, neither the shepherds nor the angels were there at, at the very beginning when they arrive in Bethlehem. It, it was a chaotic night. There's a picture show you this family. This is the Cam family. And this little boy, on the, this little boy right here, uh, his name is Ezra Cam. And Ezra was born October, or, I'm sorry, February 15th, 2013. Where he was born is interesting though. He was born on the access road between 42nd Street and Interstate 80. As he and his family, I mean, his mother's pregnant at the time, as they're driving to the hospital, because she's going into labor, this baby starts to come. And, and I don't know how the conversation went, but you can imagine the, the wife's in the passenger seat and she's talking to her husband. She's like, I, I don't, you need to drive faster. And he's going, I'm driving as fast as I can. And she's, you know, she's probably screaming. There's no epidural. There's nothing like that. And, and, and he ends up having to pull over on the side of the access road, reaches down into the, the floorboard and catches his newborn baby son hands him to his mother, drives to the hospital, gets out of the hospital, runs in, says, my wife gave, my wife is having a, had a baby. And they're like, okay, we'll bring her in. And he's like, no, you don't understand. She's had the baby. It's passed in. The baby's here. It's in the front seat of the car. The nurses run out and, and it, it makes the newspaper. Now here's what's crazy. Evelyn, the little baby was born Monday a week ago. She was born on the access road of 42nd street and I-80 exact same place. That's a true story. Uh, can you imagine that conversation? You know, you know, it's, 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 we got to go, honey, because I don't want to have another baby on the side of the road. You know, it's coming. And, you know, so I'm serious. Drive faster. We, and and he, he's thinking, well, hey, it worked the first time. Pulls over and they had been. And so their birth certificates actually have on them that they were born at the, at the cross intersections there, which is crazy. That, that's probably more like what Christmas day was. Thank you so much. Um, or that evening chaos. You've got this, again, teenage kids. There's no mom and dad there to hold your hand. The husband that's, that's standing alongside of you is a stupid teenage boy. They showed up in Bethlehem for the census. The Hyatt was full. The Sheraton was full. They went to the Motel 6 and she's like, I don't know. We can, you know, catch something here, you know, it doesn't matter because it's full. 
And they end up finding a guy that says, listen, I know he probably has compassion on this young girl who's pregnant and says, hey, you can use the, the, the barn where I keep the animals, which is probably a hewn out a hole in a rock where the animals stayed. And we don't know what the weather was like that, that night, but whatever the weather was, they surely felt it. The smell of animals all around. And here you are, no epidural, no doctor, no sterile room, nothing handy that you plant to cut the umbilical cord and this baby is coming on its way. That's a stressful night. That's a night that no woman in here would ever want to live through. It, 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 was, it was probably a dark night. And you have to think that at some point along the way, and I'm, I'm doing a little holy imagining here, you've got to think at some point along the way, Mary and Joseph looked at each other and went, is this, this, is not, this can't be what God's plan is, right? I mean, we're having the Messiah, right? I mean, that's, that's what angel told you that, angel told me that. Are you sure that's what we heard? Because this doesn't seem like it's going to work. The dark night. What was it? What was it that in the midst of all of that fear and all of that pain and all of that hopelessness that I'm sure they felt, what was it that allowed them to, to keep going? Well, I think the answer to that, and again, a little holy imagining here, I don't know. I think it was the words of those angels that said the Messiah is coming, that the one that your nation, the nation of Israel has been waiting for for thousands of years arrives tonight. And if we can just make it through tonight, if we can just make it through this animal barn, if we can just, if we can make it through all of the trouble in the morning, everything is going to be different. I want us to look in Lamentations, which is not typically a, a Christmas passage of scripture. And I want us to look at, at, at Lamentations chapter three. In that song, as you're flipping there, Lamentations 3.20, in the song, O Holy Night, there's this lyric and it says this, I love it. He says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I think, and I don't know if this is, I doubt it's everybody in this room, but I think we get a good idea of what a weary world feels like. Even 2000 years after the birth of Christ, 150 plus years past the writing of the song, we get the idea of what a weary world is. Because some of you guys, possibly, if it wasn't you, you've, got, you've probably got close friends that this morning and this Christmas season, not even sure you're going to be married come January 1st, 2015. Because there's this kind of break in the relationship. You've, you've had the long conversations of, do we keep going? And you've looked at the world around you and it's dark and it seems hopeless and it seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Some of you guys with teenagers guarantee this, you're dealing with a teenager and you don't know if it would be better just to strangle the life out of them, send them to military school, let, you don't know what to do. And it feels like every time you're in a conversation with that teenager, every time something happens that, that you're, you're between pulling your hair out and pulling their hair out, you know, and, and it just, it seems hopeless of how much longer can we do this before something changes. Struggling with finances in the Christmas season, 
isn't helping with every commercial and every expectation. And before Christmas started, you were already in the red and, and you don't know what to do. And, and the idea, the feeling of a weary world is just heavy. That song says, again, I'll read you the lyric, a thrill of hope. The weary world, that world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What was it that gave Mary and Joseph the ability to hang on? What gave them hope? Was that in the morning, everything would be different. In the morning, everything that their people had waited on would have changed. And I wanna go back to Lamentations chapter three. We're looking in history. We're looking at the birth of Jesus somewhere around the change from BC timing to AD timing. And we're gonna go back 586 years to the time of a man named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is living in a world where Babylon has come in and Babylon has wiped out Jerusalem. Now, let's, let's put that into perspective of what that means. If you woke up this morning and you looked on the newspaper or you turned on the TV or got on your phone. And we're not talking about a 9-11 type instance. We're talking about another country has come in, not had a terrorist act on our, on our major city or our nation's capital, but they have taken over Washington, D.C. It's a, it's a new world order. Everything that you've grown up with and known is now gone. You're going to be speaking another language. Someone's going to come in and take your children and take them back to the country that has overtaken this one. That's a feeling of hopelessness. That's a feeling of a dark time. That is an understanding of what a weary world is. We feel it at the Christmas story that night. Jeremiah feels at 586 BC when Jerusalem falls and he writes a, a, a book that's called Lamentations. Now it comes from the word lament. It means to whine or to cry. And that is what this whole story, this whole book is. He's, he's whining through and lamenting the fact that his, his country has been overthrown. And he does that in chapter one, chapter two. And then near the end of chapter three, there's a, there's a bit of a switch. And look in Lamentations chapter three, verse 20, verse 20 kind of, is where it begins to, sh to shift. He says in Lamentations 3.20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's talking about all of these bad things that happen. Jeremiah says, listen, I'm not pretending like the weary world that I'm living in isn't there. I'm not putting on my Sunday morning smile and gonna wave to everybody and then go back to reality. Jeremiah says, hey, my, my soul continually is rem remembering and reminded of what a weary world I'm living in. And, and, I am, and my soul is bowed down with him. I can't even stand up. But then verse 21, he says this. He says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. In the midst of all of this, wailing and lamenting the weary world in which he lives, being very honest about it, that, hey, marriage is not what it's supposed to be. My relationship with my kids is not what it's supposed to be. My job is not what it's supposed to be. My checkbook is not what I would like it to be. I'm not, I'm not pretending that that's not true. But in the midst of that, there's something that I've called to mind that I remember, and it gives me hope. There's something that as a young man, Jeremiah says, God, God has put into our people and has been communicated from my great grandparents to my grandparents to my parents. This one thing that, that, that I remember, I purposely go out and meditate on it and it brings me hope. And he tells us what it is in verse 22. Here's what brings him hope. That the steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He says, in the midst of this dark time that I'm going through, in the midst of the hopelessness, here's what I remember and here's what I recall and here's what I hold, hold, hold on hope to. God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. I may not feel it right now, but I know that the morning's coming. Right now may be difficult. Fast forward to Jesus' birth. Tonight may be a difficult time, but tomorrow everything changes. When that sun comes up, it's the first day on this planet with the, with the Messiah alive and here. Everything is different. It's what we've been waiting for. And for some of you that came in this morning, maybe for your kids as you discussed this week, you need to, to remember that Christmas, what we're preparing to celebrate, Christmas is hope realized. It's, it's hope in the flesh. It's the personification. It's tangible. Hope isn't something that we just look for. It has arrived and it is Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That no matter how weary your world is right now, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. And in tomorrow, Jesus is already there, already working to the good of those that are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 tells us that Jesus, the eternal one, who's not bound by time, He's already in your future, already working, already doing what he does. He is God. He is our hope. And if you're in that weary world, remember that Christmas, this is, it's bigger than presents. It's bigger than manger scenes. It's bigger than lights and carols. It's about hope realized. And so what do we do? What do we do? Because that's, that's great in theory. That's a great kind of theological idea. And, and we can look at Lamentations and, and connect it back to the Christmas story. I want to give you three things. And they're, they're not really go and do this. It's more kind of changing the way you think. But here's the first thing. You and I, we've got to trust God to provide for our needs. In that weary world where you feel like, trust that God is again working and, he, and God is the provider. Look at what Jeremiah says next. In verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We are at the Christmas story. We went back to 586 BC with Jeremiah. And then Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. And he takes us back further into the Old Testament, most likely referring to the Exodus. When, I don't know if you've seen the movie yet. It came out. I, I, I haven't, so I don't know if it's good or not. But that, that story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And as they're wandering through the desert, a million strong, there's nothing for them to eat. And God provides this substance called manna. That every morning the Israelites wake up, they go outside their tent and on the ground is this manna that, that sustains them, that feeds them. Now, if you were that person and, and you had a Western mentality like, like I do, you would have thought, hey, great, there's manna. Well, what if it doesn't come tomorrow? Let's, let's, let's eat what we want. Let's store some extra just in case. Well, all of that that was stored, anything that was kept overnight rotted. And the next morning there was fresh manna. Because God wanted the message to be to his people during the Exodus, to Jeremiah, to Mary and Joseph, to you and I, I'll provide for you. In the midst of your weary world, in the midst of it feeling like there's no hope, the lesson that I have for you is to trust me. Trust me today. Jesus said the same thing in the Lord's prayer. He said, give us this day our daily what? Bread. Bread. Daily bread. 
Give us today, God, what you will provide for me today. God said, then all throughout history and today, in the midst of your weary world, when things look bad and starving to death for, uh, for an Israelite was bad, when things look bad, trust me to provide for your needs. And some of us really need to hear that this morning because again, it might be marriage, it might be kids and, and you've, you don't know how to trust anymore because you've done it all your life on your own. You've grown up as an American, Texas, where we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And, and if it is to be, it's going to be because of me. And God says, I don't want you to think that way. I want you to trust me and let me get glory in what I'm going to do when you're utterly hopeless in the middle of this weary world. Dave Phillips knows a little something about God's provision. Dave Phillips and his wife, is a picture of them, they were, they were feeling the, the tug of God on their hearts to do something, to leave his business and to do something that would, would make a difference in the world. And, and he was really drawn towards children stuck in poverty. And they kept, man, they wrestled through just what God was calling them to do, walk away from a career to start something different. And um, one of the things that really he wrestled with was if, if I start this new ministry to help kids in poverty, I'm gonna have to get up in front of people and talk. I mean, I'm going to raise money. I'm going to have to give speeches. I'm going to have to go in and, and really try to, you know, generate stuff. And that's just not what I want to do. I don't feel I'm gifted in that. But God kept saying yes, and they started the Children's Hunger Fund. Six weeks after starting that ministry to feed and take care of children in impoverished nations, he's on the phone to Honduras with a pastor. And the pastor says to him, it just met, it just started this, this, this ministry. The pastor tells him, he says, hey, I, can you get me a hold of this certain kind of drug? And I don't know what it was, but he said, he said, I've got seven kids that if we don't get this drug, these seven kids are going to die. And I don't know where else to get it. Can you pull your connections? Can you do anything to try to get this to me? And Dave Phillips tells him, he says, listen, I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I don't, I, I don't know anything about it. I, I don't know where to get it. I don't even know where to begin. And they said, well, let's just pray about it. They pray about it on the phone together. As they hang up the phone, and this is a true story. He said he hung up the phone before he took his phone hand off of the phone, his phone rang. He picks it back up. It's a pharmaceutical company in New Jersey calling saying, hey, we've got excess of some medicine that we're trying to get rid of. Do you know of any place where we can send, we'll pay for it to be shipped, where we can send 48,000 vials of such and such. And it was the name of the medicine that he had just written down. $8 million worth of medicine. Found out later, there were only two companies in the world that make that medicine. Some of us believe in coincidence. And if that's you, I wanna strongly suggest that you go get a lottery ticket today. God is in the business of providing. Not always in the way we think, not always in this miraculous form like that, even though he does, but he's in the business of providing. Here's the other thing I want you to understand. He's not in the business of providing for your wants. He's in the business of providing for your needs. It may not happen the way you think it's gonna happen. It may not happen the way you would like it to happen, but it's gonna happen in the way that God, who knows the beginning from the end, who's been in the past, who's here in the present, and who's there in the future, sees what's best and is going to work for your good. You've got to learn how to trust him in the midst of dark times, in the midst of a weary world. And some of you, that's, that's gonna be hard. You're going, man, I, okay, yeah, I need to do that. But you just don't understand. It's really easy to stand on the stage and say that you don't know what my marriage has been through for the last 10 years. 
You don't know how many times I've, I've failed in this business and you don't know how, how much the debt is. You know, unless God is going to provide for me $8 million of some vial of medicine that I can sell and get out of debt, it ain't going to do me any good. Second thing, we don't give up. We don't give up. Jeremiah says in, in chapter three, the next thing. He says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for those who wait. Some of you just need, not only do you need to trust God, but you just need to hear this, don't give up. Your timing is not God's timing. Don't give up, trust God, do what you're supposed to do, do what he's called you to do <coughs> and keep pushing forward. How Lindsay said a man can go 40 days without food. He can go three days without water and he can go, I think it's like eight minutes without air. He said he can't go for a second without hope. A couple of weeks ago, two students in the Georgetown ISD took their own lives. I don't, I don't know their stories. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they had family problems, friend problems, internal things. I don't know if they were dealing with mental illness. I don't know anything about them, but one, one thing. They had lost all hope. That's the, only, that's the only reason why someone takes their own life is because they lose hope. Don't give up. The... Um, Bay Area Bridge in San Francisco is the number, number two place in the world where people go to take their own lives. They average about one person committing suicide every two weeks. Somebody goes out to that bridge, climbs over the rail and jumps 250 feet to that icy cold water below. Most of them die on impact. If they don't, by the time they hit, there's no way they're getting out of that water. Found a suicide note of a guy and I don't know how long ago it was didn't even know who he was. They just knew that, that he had actually followed through and committed suicide. But here's what the suicide note said. If one person smiles at me on the way, I will not jump. Somebody just looking for one ounce of hope in a smile. You might feel hopeless. The weary world might be weighing on you, but don't give up. And maybe this morning, Maybe you came in and went, wow, Christmas message. Thanks for the depression. Um, things are going pretty well for me. I haven't thought about jumping, but now you've got me so depressed I am. Maybe the third thing we take away is for you. You be the hope of Jesus to somebody else's Christmas season. Maybe you're not in the dark place. Maybe you're not just holding on, begging for the sun to come. Maybe, maybe the, the, the sun is shining bright and butterflies are flying around and birds are chirping at your window every morning. And you're going, man, I'm in a good place. Uh, I, I have seen God provide and everything's going well. If that's the case, the message for you is to be Jesus' hope for sun. Be the smile to that person who's walking towards the bridge. Be the adult in the life of that teenager who feels utterly hopeless. I told our youth minister team last week, and I'm probably gonna have him come share his story soon. Met with a guy, his eighth grade niece lived in Smithville, Texas, and a few months ago, she took her own life. And he read me the story, read me the, the suicide letter she'd left. She left one uh, before she killed herself and one that she had written uh, several months before. And in this, in this letter, she writes about how 
how she's fat and emo and everybody says these things about her and she has no friends. And then he shows me the video of pictures they showed at her funeral. This fat emo eighth grade girl probably weighed about 95 pounds. And this emo girl, all she had done was dyed her hair a different color, a dark brunette, beautiful young lady. Where were the adults in her life that came alongside and put an arm around the shoulder and to pass the hope of Jesus to her? What about the guy that, that you know, the family that's struggling through marriage? What if it's God's blessed you with finances? And there's some people this Christmas holiday that they are never going to ask for money. They won't ever lower their pride that far down, but you know that there's a need and God's been speaking to you about that for a while. Be the hope to somebody. I get this privilege. I'm going a little off track here, but I want you to see what, what hope can do. The privilege of serving an organization called Wendy's Wish. We had a young man um, who grew up here and his, his sister just graduated this last year. His name is Lane Malikian. Um, Lane's mother was a youth worker here several years ago, started getting sick. And I've probably told the story before, but didn't know what it was. Go, going to the chiropractor, she had back pain, doing everything. And, and they started concerned when they couldn't figure out what it was. So they started doing the, the, the CAT scans and everything to see you know, if there's something, they couldn't find anything. And the reason why they couldn't find anything is because she had cancer in the brain, but it wasn't a tumor that would be identified by, um, by a CAT scan or an MRI. It was inside the lining of the brain. And so it wasn't easily seen. And by the time they diagnosed it, she had several more months till she passed away. And Lane was in high school then, and he's now about to graduate, or I guess graduating this week or next from Texas A&M. And <coughs> he just felt God calling him to start this ministry called Wendy's Wish to bring hope. And that's in the, in the vision statement of the ministry, to bring hope to people who are, are, are battling cancer. And I, this has been a privilege to be along, serve alongside to do some, some casework and sit down with people who are struggling with cancer and to do some things that are, that are a little bit outside the box. We met a lady, her name is Catherine. And as I was visiting with Catherine and kind of doing her intake interview, um, one of the things that Catherine had done is she, she made a bad decision. She owned up to the bad decision. She said, I, I wish I never would have done that. Her mother passed away several years ago and she took her mother's wedding ring that had been left to her in her will and she went and pawned it for money so she could pay her bills. Because cancer, the, the medical bills and things like that were coming. She said she wouldn't pawn. And every time she tried to figure out how much it was to get it back, it was way too high to get it back. And we talked uh, as a board. said, so, you know, there's, there's, not, there's not an organization out there that's going to go buy something out of a pawn shop for somebody. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably not great stewardship. But when we say we want to bring hope to somebody, is there anything that may, brings more hope than be able to walk to that lady and go, here's what you got rid of and it's been brought back to you. It's been redeemed. Isn't that the message of the gospel? I sold it away and I can't get it back. And someone stood in my place and paid the ransom for it. What if God's called you to be the hope of someone this Christmas? A hope to a weary world. John, I'll close with this and we're gonna let you guys talk about it. John Piper gives this illustration and I love the illustration. I think I could connect with it, even going back to when you were a kid, because most of us went through a time where we were in the grocery store, we were in the mall, or we were someplace with mom or dad, and we got separated. We started looking at the toys or something, and mom turned the corner, and we turned around, and she was gone. 
And we started looking near the aisles and we couldn't find her looking around. And that fear and that panic and that, as a young child, it started to kind of rise in you because you didn't have the, the maturity to realize that mom's not gonna leave without you, but she just, she's gone. And Piper says, he said, you know, you, you can almost feel you can almost feel the tension subside when as you turn one corner, you see the shadow that looks like mom coming out of the aisle. And there's this hope that could that be her? And the fear starts to go away, but nothing, there's nothing like when you turn the corner and there's no longer the shadow, but you see mom herself. And he said, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is hope realized. It's not the shadow of hope. It's hope that came in the flesh. We're not just waiting for the future. The future's arrived and his name is Jesus. And he's come to bring hope to your weary world. We're gonna pray, give you some time to think about this. Um, there's some questions on the app you can walk through if you'd like. You might talk about how it applies to your family. You might talk about how you can be hope. So maybe there's somebody in your small group that just, they're gonna be very honest today and says, could you just pray for me because I need Maybe that's what you do this morning. We're gonna leave that to you. I'm gonna pray for you and let you discuss and we'll come back and do some announcements.